Life was bitter to the core There was nothing to live for Until love came My name is Harold J. Perkins And at the age of 17 I was selling drugs And on my way to an early grave While sitting in my house with about 10 guys God gave me an out-of-body experience And I was lifted above the room I could see everything moving in slow motion After that I got up and put those guys out And I cried out to Jesus Christ He came into my life with liberty and purpose. Then I ran into religion. And it has taken me over 40 years to navigate through religion to fully understand what came into me that day. This podcast is to help put you on a faster track than it took me to get through religion and experience life, liberty, and purpose on a higher level. So get ready. We're about to start a revolution. Again, welcome. I'm excited about getting into scriptures again on this episode that should set an expectation of us seeing God's supernatural power moving in our lives. We'll look first at the contrast between the covenant of the law, which is the old covenant, and the New Testament covenant of righteousness that we're under now. Now, the covenant of righteousness was actually before the law, and it started with Abraham. It's important to note that the first thing God did with Abraham was he made him rich. So from the beginning, wealth was supposed to be a part of our covenant. And the wealth is to enable us to be a blessing to more people. You know, it's clear to see that what's going on in the world today, all the the, the issues that are happening, that a lot of people are going to be in financial need. And even many are right now. And God wants his people who have learned how to be generous with their finances in helping others to be equipped with an abundant supply. So we're going to start over in Romans 4, 13. Here's what it says. For the promise, and this is God making the promise, that he, Abraham, should be heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If you are in Christ, then you are the seed of Abraham. And the world was promised to the seed of Abraham. So the first thing to note here is that Abraham was promised a world. So what should be your expectation? If you're the heir of somebody that owns everything in the world, what type of expectation should you have? Should you have an expectation of lack or want or anything of that nature? Of course not, okay? Well, this is all about looking at some scriptures that should cause us to expect God's supernatural power, not just to heal, not just to deliver, but also to bless you financially, to bring you in contact with people and ideas that will enable you to prosper financially. Now, let's continue. Uh, Verse 14, for if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of not effect. You know, part of religion causes you to think that you have to do something to get God to do something. And that's what the law was about. It was do's and don't do's. But faith is about believing God. Now, does it also require some actions of mind? Yes, I covered that on the last episode. If we say we believe, then we should act and have some corresponding actions in line with that. But the point is, is that it's by faith that we inherit the earth. Verse 15. 
because the law works wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. The promise might be sure, or that could also be said this way, that the promise might be guaranteed to all the seed. Now, wait a minute. Are you telling me that God has guaranteed every seed is only one seed? We're going to see that shortly. You're telling me that God has promised the world? Yes, he has. Okay. Well, how do we get it? How come more believers don't have it? Well, maybe because they don't have what we're, we're about to read further. Okay, let's, let's continue. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be guaranteed to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay, listen there. It's requiring us to have the same kind of faith that Abraham had. And, you know, what's wonderful about what is written is that it's telling us the principles are already there. We're going to read the type of faith that Abraham actually have, had. Shame on us if we don't implement it. Let's continue. Verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who makes alive the dead, and he calls things that are not as though they were. Now, God called Abraham, as I've covered up in previous episodes, the father of many nations before he was that. And that's how God operates. He calls things that are not yet manifested as though they were. That's a principle of the kingdom. So if we're going to inherit the earth, then we got to operate in that same type of faith that God did and also that Abraham did, which is going to be revealed here. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your seed be. And see, and this is where most people fall down at. It says Abraham against hope. In other words, it looked like it was not going to come to pass, but Abraham trusted what God had said. And most people fall down right here, and even believers, beginning to look at circumstances and situations and think, oh, wow, this is impossible. Yes, it is. It is impossible for you alone. But if you believe in Christ, you're not alone. I'm going to continue verse 19. And being not weak in faith, talking about Abraham, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, that God was able to perform what he promised. You see, there is the key. We are not the performers. God is. And Abraham said, if God said it to me, then he's going to do it. And that is how we are to move and operate to inherit the earth the same way he did. You see, what is rightfully ours will come to us when we first renew our minds to the truth that it belongs to us, and then we do like Abraham, become fully persuaded that no matter how impossible it may seem, my God, our God, will do what he said. Let's continue. Galatians chapter 3. We're talking and looking at scriptures that should set an expectation of us seeing the supernatural hand of God. Galatians 3, 16. Here's what it says. 
Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said not and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one and to your seed, which is Christ. Now, I I said we're going to see that there's only one seed. God only has one seed, and that's Christ. And he has placed us in Christ, and all of the one seed has inherited the world. It's available to everyone that's in Christ. Verse 17, and this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of non-effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, or we could say be of do's and don't do's, it is no more a promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. He gave it to Abraham by promise. And we are that seed. I'm going to continue at verse 23. I'm going to drop down from there to 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up until the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified or made righteous by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For those of you that think we're still under the law, it's very clear right there. It's telling us that we're not under the law. Verse 25 again, but after that faith has come, talking about Christ, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And we other verses you, you read previously said that the law was our schoolmaster. Verse 26, for you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen to this next verse. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, one seed, and heirs according to the promise. You see, actually, Jesus has already inherited the world, and he has delegated the authority to us, and he has given us, he said to us, he said, whatever you ask the Father, he will give it unto you. So this has already been done. Listen to this, verse one of chapter four. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, he differs nothing from a servant, though he is Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. This is telling us that there are gonna be times when we look like we're a servant, that we're not heirs to the entire world. And God allows that to happen. You say, well, why would he do that? Okay, what, what's the whole intent? See, let's understand this. An heir is not something that you work for. It's a gift. And we see here that our Father God will give it to us when we grow up. Now, part of God allowing us to grow up is to allow us to go through some form of suffering. It's not his doing. It's Satan attacking us, but God allows it. Okay, you say, why would that be? Why would he do that? Listen, let me go over to Romans chapter eight, verse 17 and 18. Listen to this. And if and if you are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon 
that the suffering of this present time are not the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You see, on the other side of suffering is a glory, a manifestation of God's goodness in your life that will be far above the suffering that you went through, leaving you and I, when we've gone through it, in a place of humility where we give God all of the glory. See, the danger is, and this is part of Satan's fall, is that he was so gloriously made that he began to start smelling himself and looking at himself and looking at how great he was and how great he is. And that same pride we see in the world today, and unfortunately, we even see it in, in believers, okay? God allows us to go through suffering so we don't go there, that we stay in a place of humility, giving him all the glory. You know why? Because we're not built to carry the glory. The glory is to be given to God. And that's why he allows us to go through that, okay? But again, the world is all, is all ours. And we have the victory already. As a matter of fact, we go into the battle with the victory, no matter what it is. Listen to 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. You know, those of you that have not been reading the Bible, you, you should be pretty excited to understand some of the things that's already written, and it should encourage you to get into the book for yourself. How, listen to this. God, Thanks be to God, which always, always causes us to triumph in Christ. You see, Jesus already won the victory. The only way we don't see the victory that he's won in all things is that we quit. And we we give up and, and we cause we, we we begin to doubt whether God is going to do what he said he's going to do based on the picture and the things that Satan has brought against us. But our responsibility is to hold fast to our confession. See, that's part of this battle. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. If we keep saying what God says about us and has said to us, then eventually Christ Jesus is going to go to work. And he's going to bring that into manifestation in our lives. Okay. Now, there's another thing that we need to also look at here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Did you hear that? Our sufficiency is of God. God is enough. He's more than enough. And so when we understand that it's not our own sufficiency that we have victory in the things that come against us in life, but we understand that we have God as our sufficiency. Wow. If we'll just rise up and begin to think this way and 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 walk this way and understand that even though God is not physically, we can't touch him, we can't smell him and so forth, unless he allows us to sense those things, but he's there all the time. He never leaves us. Now, these final scriptures that I'm going to cover in, in light of what I've been saying, that we should set an expectation of seeing the supernatural, of seeing miracles beyond what we've read about in the Old Testament. If there's ever a passage that, was, that should enable you to see that, what I'm about to read should enable you to see that. I'm going to start in 
Second Corinthians. I'm still in Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm going to drop down to verse six. Listen to these verses. Who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament. Now, that's talking about all of us. We're all, if we're in Christ, we're all been given a ministry in Christ based on the gift that we have. Not standing behind a pulpit, but we're, we're supposed to minister in the sphere of influence that we have in the places that we go into. And a lot of our ministry is not necessarily with our voice and condemning people, but our ministry is just living the life. I've seen many people come to Christ when they observed me long enough to see how I lived my life. And they saw the manifestation of God working in my life. And I've seen many people say, I want to know this God you know. I saw my sister look at me and knowing that I was going through financial challenges, trying to raise five kids. But every time she saw me, I was uplifted. I was encouraged and so forth. And she said, I don't know what you got, but I want what you got. So a lot of this is not a matter of us speaking. That's the way we live our life. Let's continue. I'm start over at verse six, who also has made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, the letter is talking about the law. OK, the spirit is talking about the righteousness that we're under. Now, you're going to hear what hear that in a moment. Verse seven. But if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious and that was the law. That was the law that was written. I'm going to continue. So that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. <laughs> How shall not the ministration of righteousness be rather glorious? Do you understand what this is saying? It's saying if if that was glorious, Moses and the Red Sea opening and the children of Israel coming out of there with the wealth and all this and that. And so all the miracles that were happening. And it, it, this is a, in essence saying, if you think that was glorious, wait until you see the glory of this ministration of righteousness, which means that we have yet to see that magnitude of blessing on the earth. So it's coming. It's coming. And we, the believers, are to set an expectation for it. I'm going to continue at verse 8 again. How should not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, talking about the law, much more does the ministry, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Come on now, go back and read the Old Testament. Read all those miracles that were taking place there and you understand what this is saying. Then therefore, the scriptures are telling us that there's a glory that's going to hit the earth and is going to move through his body greater than anything that's ever happened before. Verse 10, for even that which was glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that are excelleth. okay? For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. Do you understand that the law was done away? Righteousness is never going to be done away because the scripture says that we've received eternal life. Understand something. If you are in Christ, you're already in eternal life. You will never die. Your spirit man will never die again. You are already in eternal life in Christ Jesus. The body is going to have to die, but that's why we get in a new body. But our spirit, man, will never die again in Christ. Again, verse 11, for if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remains 
is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, I still talk about the children of Israel that have, have rejected Christ, have yet to receive him overall, as far as the Jewish people are concerned. So, so that veil is still there. Verse 16, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You see, there is liberty in Christ. Um, religion is bondage. But what we have available to us in Christ is liberty. Verse 18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. And we're talking about the Lord Jesus. It says that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. Do you hear what that's saying? See, as we begin to to look into the face of Christ. How do we look into his face? Well, first of all, the word is Jesus is the word. So that's part of looking at it. What's the other part? The other part is getting into his presence in prayer, in worship. And as we get into prayer and worship, we begin to see his face. We begin to feed off of the glory. You know, you see the sunshine, when plants are absorbing the sunlight, there, there's something happening that we can't see, but through the water that the plants are getting and the sunshine, there's something taking place that causes them to become who they're supposed to become. Well, guess what? It's the same principle with God. We have received the seed of Christ. And when we get into the word, we get the water of the word and we get into his presence and we get the sunshine of his presence. There's something happening in that time that we can't even see it. But eventually it will begin to manifest because we will become like Christ. You see, we're not necessarily going to be preachers behind a pulpit. That's not what all of us are called to do. But every one of us has been given a gift and we're supposed to go take Christ into our area of gifting. Whether whatever it may be as an actor, as a singer, as as a worker, whatever type of work that we do, whatever God has placed in us, whatever gift that has been placed in us, we're supposed to take that to the world and they're supposed to see Christ. And as we grow and we become more like him, then they begin to see him more and more and more and more. And we will end up with Christ all over the planet, the miraculous happening all over the planet. And people will be coming and saying, hey, I want to know this living God that I see at work in your life. Now, you may be in a situation right now where God is not very visible in your life. You keep seeking his face. You keep getting in prayer. You keep getting into the word and God will continue to show himself to you and he'll show you who you are in him. And guess what? You're going to start manifesting just like Christ and you're going to attract other things that are necessary for your assignment. Let me say right here, if you don't know our living Savior, Jesus Christ, you can get to know him now. Pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. Jesus, I accept you into my life as my Lord 
and my Savior. Help me to live this life. Thank you. That's it. It's that simple. If you believe what you just prayed, he has come in. Start reading the Bible for yourself. You can start in the book of St. John and in the book of Romans, and God will begin to show you his purpose for your life, and he'll begin to show himself unto you. Okay, we'll see you on the next episode. I was just